For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. Hello and welcome to The Bunker USA. I'm Jacob Jarvis. Joe Biden's life is about to get a whole lot harder. The Democrats did better than expected in the midterms and avoided a battering from a Republican red wave, but the GOP have still taken a majority in the House of Representatives. It's slimmer than predicted, but a majority is a majority, however you look at it. While the Republican caucus has internal disputes of its own, there is one thing they do seem settled on, and that is that they hate the president. So how low will they go when it comes to turning fire on him? Here to discuss this with me is Thomas Gift, director of UCL's Center on U.S. Politics. Thomas, welcome to The Bunker. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Could you paint us a picture of what the makeup of the House is now and what that means for the legislative process in the United States? Sure. So at this point, 433 seats have been called and Republicans have 220 of them and Democrats have 213 of them. And so Republicans are going to control the House, that's for sure. But as you mentioned, it's a very, very slim majority, one of the slimmest majorities that we have seen in recent decades. And of course, as Republicans look to try to stymie Joe Biden's agenda, I think that they really are going to have their work cut out for them in kind of coalescing and keeping all factions of the Republican Party together. On that coalescing point, so Nancy Pelosi is no longer going to be House Speaker. And now the GOP has a majority. It would seem to me that it would have made sense for Kevin McCarthy, who was minority leader, to take her spot. But there's going to be a vote in Congress on January 3rd. Is it actually going to be that clear cut or could it be a little bit more chaotic? Well, I think that it's already quite chaotic and there's a lot of gamesmanship going on behind the scenes. Certainly, this is a role that Kevin McCarthy has aspired to for years. And it's not clear at this point that there is any legitimate challenger, although you are seeing some elements of the Trumpian wing in particular raise a fuss about Kevin McCarthy being elected to this position. I've already heard some clear no's from some representatives, including Matt Gates and Ralph Norman. You know, one member of the Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan, he has said that he would support Kevin McCarthy, but basically he's only given his support by agreeing for for Kevin McCarthy to have very strict limits on on his powers. Of course, it's not unusual, I think, to have some competition or some drama going on behind the scenes. You know, this was the case for Nancy Pelosi at one point, for Paul Ryan as well. And I think at this point, you know, Kevin McCarthy is certainly the, the front runner. But the fact that he doesn't necessarily have all the votes he needs at this point is leading to, you know, some some consternation and also some scaremongering from him. You know, he said that if Republicans don't coalesce behind him, that it's possible that some moderate Republicans, for example, could join Democrats and you could get a Democratic speaker. I, I, I think that that's very unlikely to occur, but it is something that he's sort of mentioning. How would that work if there was a Democratic speaker, but a GOP majority? Well, I mean, the first thing that I would say is I think that that's very unlikely. And in fact, I really can't foresee that happening. Again, McCarthy has said that if Republicans play games on the floor, that Democrats could end up picking who the speaker is. But, 
you know, if that were the case, you, you'd really be talking about a substantial realignment within the House. And that would be several Republicans kind of joining and thinking that the Democratic agenda is preferable to the Republican one. And I just can't imagine that going through. So it, it would require and entail a much more significant partisan shift than I think we could really, really foresee at this point. That power of the speaker, just how significant is that, you know, as well as leading the majority party, what of a sway do they have within the House? Well, I mean, which party controls the House and who the speaker is, is very important because it dictates what the agenda is. It dictates who is able to to block legislation or bring legislation to the fore. It has implications for the appointment of committee members and so on. And so beyond just being the, the figurehead of the majority party and also working behind the scenes to ensure that the majority party is able to kind of keep the votes together, it has lots of procedural powers as well. With the GOP in charge, they're going to want to slow down Joe Biden. You mentioned them blocking things there, but practically... How will they do that? Is it going to be a case of just rejecting things that come in front of them? Or is it a case of, say, launching tons of committees and just wasting the House's time so that things Joe Biden wants to do can't happen? Right. I think it's going to be a combination of the two. You know, for, for one thing, if Republicans have a majority, which they will, basically can block any piece of legislation that Joe Biden wants to put to the floor. But I think more important than that really is the fact that Republicans will be able to launch investigations. And these investigations are going to have a number of different goals. One is actually to obtain information, but the others are to embarrass the White House and especially to distract attention and consume time. And so these investigations tend to take on a life of their own, and they can really distract and take away from any effort that might be there, modest as it is, to get compromise on various forms of legislation. You mentioned embarrassing the White House there, and it's clear to me that they're going to want to go straight at Joe Biden. And the the chair of the House Oversight Committee has said they won't subpoena Joe Biden, but has said that they will go for his son, Hunter but in an investigation that is aimed at Joe Biden. Could you explain a little bit about what's going on there? Sure. I mean, you've almost had to be living under a rock, I think, if you're living in the United States and not to hear about Hunter Biden and his laptop. And one of the accusations there just broadly is that he's kind of been using his father, Joe Biden's influence in some of his overseas ventures. And so, you know, this is something that uh, Republicans have been yearning to investigate for a while. And they're essentially trying to use, I think, Hunter Biden as a means to get at his his father to say, you know, did Joe Biden know any of this? Did he have any information? Was he involved in some of these dealings? And if so, that's a way to embarrass the White House. Why not go straight for Joe? It's a really good question. You know, I think there's probably just not enough information on him at this time. But I also think that there's a risk of overreaching for Republicans. And so I think they think that, well, there's kind of a procedure to this. We're going to go to Hunter Biden first. And then depending on what we are able to uncover there, then maybe we can go directly for the president. I think going directly for the president might be perceived as, you know, overreaching, basically politically motivated vendetta, which is maybe what it is. But I think Republicans at least want to give the guise that they're trying to sort of follow a very methodical pattern. Would this put Joe Biden in a strange position? Because to me, it seems quite clear that the GOP are being 
vindictive with this. And so, you know, if he were to not want to go along with a subpoena, you could perhaps defend that. But then that would feel very Trumpian at the same time. So he would look like a hypocrite if he didn't. Is that an odd position for him to be in? It's a really good question. And it's unclear, I think, what the White House will do if they're slapped with subpoenas or asked to testify, et cetera, et cetera. Because as you note, you know, on the one hand, kind of the, the norm up until Donald Trump has been compliance with Congress, except in a few instances where they might be able to exercise executive privilege. But, you know, there's a big question as to whether Trump has set kind of a, a new norm. And so we're not necessarily going to go back to the status quo ante, but instead, you know, Donald Trump said that, you know, and showed that we don't have to comply with Congress. We don't have to comply with these subpoenas, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's very possible that the White House may take that exact tack. Of course, they, they risk, again, being hypocritical because they were so critical of Donald Trump for not complying with these investigations. So it, it does raise some very interesting questions. Some of the things that McCarthy has suggested he would do feels like he's been pressured to look back on past grievances. So for example, excluding Schiff from committees feels like a bit of a revenge move because of January 6th. Is the GOP leadership, whoever that might be, going to be just pressured into going over the coals of the 2020 election and the events of the Capitol riot? Well, I think a lot of what is motivating Republicans is revenge and vindictiveness. You know, they were very angry, many of them, that Donald Trump faced two impeachment trials, both of which, or at least one of which they saw as, you know, highly illegitimate. And so I think Republicans are, you know, in large part, playing to their base in this case. Republican voters are angry about what happened to Trump. And so they think that the logical response to that would be to take a similarly aggressive tactic against Joe Biden and the White House. Now, of course, Trump's behavior, I think, uh, necessitated some of those actions. But to Republican voters, that's maybe immaterial or they simply disagree. And so certainly the Trumpian wing within the House of Representatives, but even broader than that, I think a lot of Republicans just feel like you know, this is time for payback. This is time for revenge. Now we have the majority and now we have the ability to undertake all these probes and investigations. And why not use it? Turning to that ever-present elephant in the room that is Donald Trump, is his sway what is causing completely the chaos here and will totally shape what the House GOP does? I think to a large extent, yes. I mean, you can kind of think about the Republican electorate as divided into three different factions. Some are the the pro-Trump faction, sort of the always Trump faction. Some are the maybe Trump faction, and some are the never Trump faction. But this always Trump faction is very, very strong. You know, it's reflected in significant numbers still of House members who are in large part tied to that support and that agenda. And so they're going to to act on that. Donald Trump's grip on the Republican Party, to my mind, has not waned in the least, despite the fact that a lot of election denying candidates didn't do particularly well in the midterms. I, I think Trump can convincingly make the case that, well, they weren't sufficiently Trumpian or they're just not me. You know, I'm Trump. I'm, I'm different. I'm the iconoclast. I'm kind of the head of this movement. And so all these other figures who sort of embrace Trumpian elements, it's just different. 
And I think that there is so much reluctance at this point within the Republican Party, both within the RNC, as well as different Republican committees at the state level to directly challenge Trump. They might do it behind the scenes. They might do it privately, but they're not going to do it in public. They know that lots of voters, again, support Trump and they want a particular agenda pushed in the House, one that's very anti-Biden and designed to embarrass the White House. So that's what they're going to do. And so I think in large part, those motivations are in the backdrop. On how things are changing among the Democrats now, Nancy Pelosi is no longer going to be the majority leader or the minority leader from January. Who is going to replace her? So Hakeem Jeffries is going to replace her, and that's settled at this point. He has served in the U.S. House since 2013, and he's a representative from New York's 8th District, and he will be the first black leader in the House of Representatives. He's in his early 50s, so he's about 30 years or so younger than his predecessor, Nancy Pelosi. And I think the interesting thing about Jeffries' rise and his election to this position is that Unlike on the Republican side with Kevin McCarthy, there's kind of been very little drama, and most people knew from the from the very outset that he was the likely candidate. He's a self-styled progressive, but at the same time, he's called the Democratic Party a noisy family. I think he realizes that it's quite splintered still between progressives and centrists. You know, some progressives, uh, although I think they're generally happy with his pick, may not think that he's far enough left. And some of the statements that Hakeem Jeffries has made have centered on you know, his priority of ensuring that in 2024, Democrats are going to have the majority in, in the House and he's going to do more or less whatever it takes to guarantee that that happens. And so it could be the case that that means kind of compromising on you know some of his positions to, to reach a broader slice of the electorate. For Joe Biden, what are going to be his priorities between now and 2024 and the things that he wants to get through in the House? Well, I think his biggest priority is going to be to limit damage control with all of these investigations. I mean, there's just going to be so much happening with investigations that it's going to consume all of his time and energies, from Hunter Biden's laptop, which we've already talked about, to investigations into the origins of COVID-19, to charges of a politically motivated Justice Department, to the Pentagon's withdrawal from Afghanistan, management of the U.S.-Mexico border. I mean, we are just going to see investigation after investigation after investigation. And because Democrats no longer have a majority of both houses of Congress, anything that Joe Biden wants to get done between now and the next two years is just not going to happen. I think that he realizes that. I mean, maybe there are some small places where there could be bipartisan consensus, but my sense is that any significant legislation that had a chance of passing has already passed. And given you know what really looks to be priming for gridlock going forward, I, I just don't think that Biden can can hope for anything to, to get through. Can Joe Biden's presidency almost be prematurely judged at this point because his legacy is just stopped dead here? Well, I think to some extent he is a lame duck president already. I mean, he, he, he was able, despite all of the criticism about his ineffectualness on Capitol Hill, for having, you know, control of both both Congresses, he, he was able to get some significant items through. You know, the one point nine trillion dollar COVID stimulus package, the two trillion dollar Inflation Reduction Act. Biden was able to do that with only a tie breaking majority in the Senate, of course, and a razor thin majority in the House. 
and he used this special process known as budget reconciliation. But he was able to do that. At the same time, you know, I, I think now going forward, a lot of his legacy already is cemented. You know, I'm somewhat skeptical that he's going to run for re-election. And so I think part of what he wants to do now is, you know, just, again, manage uh, these investigations and kind of limit the downsides of them and potentially facilitate a, a transition to whoever his successor ends up being so that they can be kind of in the best position possible to retake the White House and potentially Congress for the Democrats. Yeah. If he can't do anything concrete in terms of legislation, does this become just a presidency of political gamesmanship now to an extent where his goal is just to make sure Democrats are electable as they can possibly be in 2024? I think that's right. You know, I I think absolutely his primary goal over the next two years, assuming he doesn't uh, run, and even if he does, is just to ensure that Democrats are in the strongest position possible to maintain or, or retake power in Washington. And so that you know, it's going to be a, a fairly delicate balancing act. It's going to require that progressive wing and the moderate wing of his party stays together and has a united front against Republicans. But yeah, I think it, it's largely going to be symbolic at this point. You know, he's certainly going to use his power of the bully pulpit as president to outline an agenda and maybe an agenda that he thinks should progress beyond 2024. But I think a lot of what he does from here on out is going to depend on whether he's going to run again. And it's unclear when he's going to make that decision, how he's going to make that decision. If he chooses not to run, I think it's very unlikely that he would put his backing behind any particular Democratic candidate at this point. I think it's more likely that we would see an open field and they would kind of duke it out to see who's going to get the nomination. But yeah, that's still very much up in the air at this point. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. For as little as £3 a month, you'll get episodes ad-free and early, as well as access to exclusive merchandise. This is Jacob Jarvis. Thank you for joining me for the Bunker USA. The Bunker USA was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis. The producers were Alex Rees and Jet Gerbertson, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with audio production and music by me, Jade Bailey. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. The Bunker USA is a Podmasters production. Thank you.